Welcome to Writers Radio. I'm Carol Harmon. Periodically, we do themed programs for Writers Radio, gathering writers around an idea. Summertime, and the living is easy. Is it? Four writers illuminate this question. We begin with Donna Stephen of Canmore, Alberta, who takes us along on the West Highland Way in spring 2023. This spectacular walking route stretches between Glasgow and Fort William on the west coast of Scotland. hearts in the highlands. How to describe the West Highland Way along the high runic moor. Even without the pale yellow broom and carpets of purple heather and virtually no other wildflower in bloom, this rugged landscape is still beautiful and wild. Closed in by the steep flanks of a ridge to the west with streams and heath and bogs, hillocks and rocks and occasional smallish boulders, no trees, and on this day, thankfully, no midges, and no road to be seen other than the old jagged stone one, an English military road we trudged with blistered toes. Strangely alluring, it is also lonely on the moor and dotted with falling-down croft houses. Some of these homes perched in surprisingly exposed high places evoked fantasies. I could live there. Well, perhaps not in winter, I reflect, when bone-chilling wind would howl across a snowy landscape. But the croft houses, two stories high, spreading gable ends with chimneys, huge fireplaces and pigeon cubbies, and with two-foot-thick walls, seem built to withstand such conditions. But now they are just sad reminders of the crofters, thousands of them, who had to leave their small tenant farms in a complex history of oppression culminating with the highland clearances, a tragic 100-year period during which people were removed from their homes to make room for more lucrative sheep. I cannot but help thinking of Robert Burns's poetic lamentation, which begins with the words, My heart's in the highlands. My heart is not here. The distances seem vast high up on the moor, lending a faraway feel. Heat shimmered the landscape, and I began to see shapes that were suggestions of things, saying only to myself at first, and after a while out loud, oh, there is something. But when I looked harder, or my perspective changed, whatever I thought I'd glimpsed was never there. These experiences became so frequent as to feel a normal part of the moor. I wished we were camping, if only for one night, not only so that the ethereal experience of being there would linger, but also because staying still in the landscape 
instead of being time pressured to walk through it at a steady pace, we surely would have seen more. Maybe grouse, and perhaps a raptor or two, and certainly the Scottish red deer, standing majestic, like landseers, the monarch of the glen. But then, as all such experiences must do, the reverie ended. We followed the long downward track out of dreaming and onto a road surrounded by high, steep, hill-like mountains with scholic names, names that the uninitiated dare not try to pronounce. Any road in this place, and traversed by only two or three slowly moving vehicles, would be rudely intrusive. The road we crossed with some hesitancy felt more like a dangerous speedway. The fancy hotel, which also sat incongruously on the land, was lined with hikers quenching their thirst and with strolling hotel guests too clean and fresh to have arrived by any other way but by car. What did the latter see? I wondered. And what did I Barbara Baydala, a poet from Ladner, B.C., shares poems created as part of a public art event, then answers the question, and the living is easy, is it? This first set of poems were recorded in the summer of 2014 at an event called Pop-Up Poetry an activity where a group of poets ask passers-by for a word and then write a poem in response to the word they've been given. In this set of poems, the title is the word that was given. Returning. Wind blew a thought of you past my vacant ear, tickled out tear of memory, rain bouncing on tarmac, reminded that I had always intended to return to that point of no returning. Sunshine, hidden in leafy shadow, I blink out of reverie, face up to the glare of sunshine staring into the furthest corners of my soul. Hula hoop. Flashing round your waist, dipping to thigh, you smile over shoulder, throw back your head and give voice to the joy of animal movement, closing in on that world record number. Spinning, dipping, rolling, rolling, belly. Computer. My computer is a looter of my time, building up my thumbs, breaking down my bum, sitting, clicking, joy sticking. Dog. There is no being like a dog. Soft belly to rub, 
golden eyes to stare into mine. Warm nose nuzzles my thigh, asks me where are we going next? Ridiculous for Sean. This morning in the mirror, my face saying, ridiculous fortune, outrageous adventure. If you set up a chair, open a book, where might you go? Who will be there? Ridiculous. Before midnight. From noon to midnight, twelve long hours stretch, into which I must pour my song. This is the window I have been given to find myself, to prove myself, to sow the gossamer into wings and take flight before the clock strikes. Dragon Boat Proud on the water, graceful prow, fierce head eye, loud on the water, pounding rhythms, roar of oars, backs bend and pull in synchronicity, a beast with many hearts, thunders through the foam. next two poems illustrate that summer isn't always joyous. Hot day in July. The light is not good this morning. My face in the mirror, an agony of details. Rita has died of street smarts, words unsaid between us. My son will be a father in September his usual month for ending relationships. My dog's hearing has failed. Ten years wear on him. Rain falls for the first time in weeks, cancels our walk. Bylaws and letters, quorums and motions, resignation and dislocation. I fear for my trees and my children. The ringing in my ears and my thumbs drum. There is a list on the table and nothing left of my ambition. Under the midday sun, no one said what anyone heard. I woke to strange light and noise, birds and traffic, the sky a hammered, burnished bowl. A man with a lawn trimmer makes perfectly straight edges on lawn after lawn. When he pulls the cord to start the trimmer, I feel the lift in his heart, his muscles bunch. He wants to go on and on, trimming perfect edges. An act of perfection, a space to climb into, safe from sunburned shoulders and broken promises, valleys of loss and expectation, straight edges, muscles whole, I feel them in my heart. Vancouver author Kate Bird 
resurrects Mount Pleasant Outdoor Pool in Vancouver, which was closed by the city amidst a thunder of protest. Mount Pleasant Pool. I swam my last kilometer at Mount Pleasant Pool on a sunny Labor Day afternoon, the final day before the pool, which operated from 1967 to 2009, was permanently closed. One of the few remaining outdoor pools in Vancouver, it had one 25-foot swim lane, a diving area, and an open area for swimming and aquafit lessons. For over 30 years, I swam lengths at Mount Pleasant Pool. Fast and slow swimmers shared the lane, often in a respectful rhythm, time to not get in each other's way. When the lane was chaotic and patternless, we muddled through undeterred. On sunny days, rays of sunlight filtered through the turquoise water and made swirling designs on the bottom. On cool days, the water turned steely blue-gray, and I swam fast, to keep warm. In my 20s, my friends and I swam stoned one day, and I still remember the slick feel of the water on my skin. The photograph I took of my friend Tina underwater, her limbs fragmented by water and light, won an international competition and was exhibited in Tokyo. In my 30s, I lived alone a few blocks from the pool, and on hot summer evenings after work, I'd swim and then lie on a towel reading until closing time. There were Saturday afternoons when, hung over from a Friday night, I'd swim lengths as both penance and salvation, then sleep in the warm sun and wake whole again. I watched fathers patiently teach their toddlers to swim, mothers catch wet children in a terry cloth hug, and pine for a family of my own. The summer I was pregnant, I puzzled over the ages of children. Was that what a one-year-old looked like? I wondered whether my baby was a boy or a girl who would look more like my husband or me. Before long, it was our son barreling down the slide, caught again and again in my husband's arms, diving for objects on the bottom, his little legs kicking furiously, re-emerging with his prize held high. I taught him to dive, holding his waist and tipping him into the pool like a teapot. It was rare for him not to know a kid from school or soccer or baseball. He and his buddies climbed the one-meter and three-meter diving boards and catapulted themselves off for hours, yelling, Watch this! or Dude! or Sweet! They competed with cannonballs and cherry bombs to see who made the biggest splash, performed dives called Suicide or Gaynor, did front flips, back flips, penguin dives, and dives that sometimes turned into belly flops, earning low groans, from the kids watching. Sometimes the diving guy was there, a former competitive diver who perched on the end of the board, steadied himself, and expertly executed a one and a half with only a tiny splash on entry. As he waited in line for the board, he'd coach the kids who pestered him for advice on their diving technique. 
On hot summer days, the crowded pool deck became a patchwork quilt of colorful beach towels. The tinny racket of the entertainer blared from the ice cream truck parked outside, where an old man served a long line of dripping wet kids clutching damp $5 bills. My son and I lay on our towels and played cribbage and ate snacks and talked when or both of us read a book. On the very last day at Mount Pleasant Pool, admission was free. Volunteers barbecued hot dogs, a live band played rock and roll standards, and couples and children danced poolside in their bathing suits. At the microphone, community activists reminded everyone to sign the petition to save the pool, to write letters to the Vancouver Park Board. A parade of swimmers with towels tied around their waists hoisted signs that read, Save Our Pool and We Love Mount Pleasant Pool, and trooped out and marched around the block. Then people lined the edge of the pool and, after a boisterous countdown, jumped in for what was called the Big Splash. No park board commissioners attended the event, but a local member of parliament was in attendance. For posterity, my husband videotaped our son jumping off the diving boards and me swimming lengths and doing a jackknife off the one meter. We left as the party started to wind down. That evening after dinner, I returned alone to say goodbye. Mount Pleasant Pool couldn't have looked more ordinary. Children slid down the slide, kids and adults jumped and dove off the diving boards, a few women bobbed up and down doing water exercises in the shallow end, and length swimmers swam lengths. This beloved neighborhood place, with a community spirit never to be replicated, soon to be demolished. The evening sky was blanketed with dark clouds, and there was an end of summer nip in the air. I took a few photographs of the pool, the swimmers. Thirty years, countless kilometers swum, so many fun and happy summer days. Then the sun broke from behind the clouds and glinted off the turquoise water, and it was time to go home. We close the program with Love Poems by Vancouver poet Cynthia Sharp. Summer We Never Had In the summer we never had, there is time for endless evenings of coffee and poetry amid the spark of fireflies in the city heat. As voices from late-night gatherings on porches drift in open windows, I no longer pretend you're in my room just to study. We are no longer pending on outside approval, only the potential we elevate in each other. In the summer we never had, I don't have to be 
anything more than I am, and it doesn't matter that my hair finds its way into dreadlocks. There is red wine and passion, daisies that last the night. My single bed is luxurious enough, and I never have to get over you. I taste forever how it would have been, and never let you go. So along that same theme of lost love and remembering my days in central Canada, and because I love words, um, this one is called Selenophilia, which means love of the moon. Reflecting back to long lost loves and youth, days of working in restaurants, in fast-paced East Coast cities, and falling in love under stars and fireflies at night. I surrender my sorrow to the cherry petals, fluttering on the wind like a thousand tiny butterflies lingering in the light. Kintsugi is the Japanese art of mending broken pottery with gold because things are considered even more beautiful after they've been broken. So this is um, my version of Kintsugi, letting nature and the beautiful province of British Columbia heal me. Autumn's Kintsugi. The autumn palette amid Robson shops, a callback to the bustle of Greenwich Village in student days. He brings me an almond latte beneath the heat lamps. Then we walk through Stanley Park Cedar, belonging to one another. Sounds of coffee and summer fading into the rose line of fall sunset. Above Third Beach in cool wind, southbound geese travel the sky, nature as always, the birch and maple at peace on the mountain, leaves fluttering like petals of gold in the wind the natural erosion of passion into love. Cream and caramel butterflies finding their way into the light of the world. Blossoming My toes among wild snapdragons I am a bed of yellow and orange flowers, purple crown chakra in my heart, blue-green story not ready to leave yet. Healing vibrations awaken like manuka honey inside, all the flowers budding, pink and lemon resonating through me. The meeting of deep nirvana and professional practice, the sun a mandala in the grass, being allowed to value ourselves and work at every age. listening to Donna Stephen, Barbara Baydella, Kate Bird, 
and Cynthia Sharp sharing their experiences of summertime. In keeping with the languid mood of the season, this program will be on air for three weeks while Ingrid, Gary, and myself enjoy summer holidays. Don't forget, once its broadcast dates are through, this program will become a podcast on the Writers Radio website and wherever you get your podcasts. My appreciation raised like the sun to these authors and my co-producers Ingrid Rose and Gary Sill. Gary creates unique music for all our Writers Radio episodes. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada. Traditional tribal land of the Shishal Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship. Thank you.